this in, and it's in harmony and different critical models. Uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> you were interested in so many things. <laughs> Appreciate that about you, Tim. Well, and, most, <laughs> mostly I uh, I just watch a lot of movies because my kids love movies. No, that's that's totally fair. See, this is why you are always the first candidate to be on From the Hallway, a podcast of the St. Constantine <laughs> oh, School. Oh, we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Yee, here with my colleague Timothy Bartell, um, here to discuss uh, something that came up the other day that I think I'm maybe more interested in than I should be. And this might sound like a dumb question, and chances are this movie will come out and it will be proven to have been a dumb question. But I think at a philosophical level, I want to know, who is the last Jedi? As someone who has a Lego model of an ATST in their office, mm. I am really excited to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, good. Because here's the thing about the Jedi. They're this weird organization, right, that are really cool and have captured our imaginations for for years and years and years. But we only ever seem to see them either while they're in the process of their tragic fall or from a stage of ruin. And they're like a sort of bygone era, a more civilized uh, order for a civilized age. And and it's interesting that we actually get those in reverse, right? It's in, in the original trilogy, the Jedi were this thing once upon a time, which seems idealized. And we don't know anything about the Jedi in episodes four, five, and six. And so we can sort of believe, yes, the Jedi were more civilized, more elegant. And then in one, two, and three, we get the Jedi and they're, I mean, I guess civilized and elegant, but obviously on their way to ruin. Right. So from that, I think, I think the question that I have is, what do we consider Jedi to mean? Like what? Yeah. What? What is a Jedi? Right. Yeah. Like the the order in general, we know that it prizes light above dark. Um, we know that uh, they are initially supposed to be peacekeepers. Right. Like there's a lot of contention surrounding uh, the Clone Wars era, in as much as they're not supposed to be soldiers, they're not supposed to be generals. Right. Something yeah. is going wrong. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, like so, light sided peacekeepers is that is that what we consider yeah. a Jedi to well, be? Uh, guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy is how they're first described to us by Obi Wan in Episode Four. Uh, okay. For for a thousand years, the gar- the Jedi were the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy before the dark times, before the Empire. What he failed to mention was before they all became, I don't know, really bad at decision making and kind of fizzled out. <laughs> Is it is it really bad at decision making, or is it they stop being peacekeepers? Well, so I, that that's good. Yeah, I think I think the the militarization of the Jedi um, is something that we're supposed to see as problematic, even in Episode Two. And I mean, I th- I think if we see, I don't. This isn't my idea. I don't remember where I first heard this, but when we see the Jedi join with the clones at the end of Episode Two to have sort of the first major battle of the Clone Wars against the Geonosians and the um, the droids, I think we we should immediately think of what Yoda says in Episode Five to Luke when Luke says, "I'm looking for a great warrior," and Yoda says. And forgive the bad Yoda impression. Mm, wars not make one great. Um, I think wars not make one great is exactly what Yoda learned through the choices Yoda makes in Episode Two through Three. Hmm. What 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 sort of what sort of choices do you think he makes poorly? Well, 
when the clones swoop in on the dropships in that sort of wonderful uh, catastrophe that takes place at the end of episode two, the Jedi you see that has gone to get the clones to start the Clone Wars is Yoda, right? He's standing front and center on the dropship, flanked by clones. Mm -hmm. It seems like Yoda has been the spearhead in deciding to use the clone army, which, of course, they don't even know who created the clone army. It's sort of rumors that sifo went and ordered the clones long ago. Uh, it, it's, very, it's real shady why the clone army even exists, especially in the minds of the Jedi. And Yoda decides, yeah, I'll go get that clone army and start a war with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's defensive, right? He's trying to protect Obi-Wan and and the other Jedis, Jedi who have been captured by Dooku. But Yoda decides to spearhead a, a major galaxy-wide military movement at the end of two. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And, and I wonder what it is that, um, that Palpatine sees in, in Yoda's character Hmm. Right, that that makes him know the way to bring down. Wait, correct me if I'm wrong. It's Palpatine that orders the army. Yes. Um, this this is the tough thing about the prequels. For as much <laughs> as we sometimes make fun of them for being like badly acted and childish, the political background is sometimes incredibly difficult to remember. Oh right, yeah. The whole first movie is about some sort of obscure like trade disagreement uh-huh. and a blockade. Right, uh-huh. like they made a whole. Movie about galactic <laughs> trade regulations. It's, it's, the, it's the classic joke that George Lucas thought, I really want kids to be silly interested in Star Wars. What are kids into these days? Trade disputes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so I think that's true. So, so my, my understanding, right, because I think with, with, with Disney sort of taking over the Lucasfilm helm and mm. being in charge of, you know, whatever it means to be in charge of a canon, mm. right, what we know is we have four, five, six, one, two, three. Uh, the Clone Wars animated series and Star Wars Rebels, the animated series, as well as now uh, Rogue One and Star Wars Episode Seven. Yes. Right? So that that's what's on the table as far yeah, as where we're pulling that's information. Ma- that's major canon entries, yeah. So as far as that's concerned, my understanding was always that Palpatine is the one that begins the clone army's creation as the sort of end game tool for the Jedi's destruction. That seems right. It seems like he works through Lord Tyrannus slash Dooku and sifo There is an episode of Clone Wars Season 6 where Yoda talks to the spirit of sifo and in the Sith Temple, and I don't remember all the details of what he finds out there. But yeah, it basically confirms that Darth Sidious slash Palpatine is behind it all. Yeah. So, so all that to say, uh, thanks, thanks for that clarification. Yes. Um, all that to say, I wonder what it is that Palpatine or whoever ends up being responsible, it sort of ends up being Palpatine's plot regardless. Yeah. It's, it's the um, Sith plot, which Palpatine always seems to be the mastermind right. behind. Right. So I wonder what is seen in Yoda's character that leads to the knowledge that the way to bring down the Jedi Order is by corrupting, to some degree, corrupting Yoda, yeah. getting him to see himself as a great warrior for peace, yeah. and and knowing that that will undo sort of a millennium of Jedi sort of peacekeeping and rule and things. Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it, that if they're guardians of peace and justice, making them 
the leaders in a war will essentially corrupt their ability to be peacekeepers um, because they're they're now war leaders. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's exactly right. I think of and this is going into another universe, but um, Battlestar Galactica, which is one of the more thoughtful uh, sci-fi TV shows to come out in the last decade. Uh, the Admiral Adama, who's sort of the the main guy who gives the moral of the story at the end of many episodes, <laughs> has this rant about why we should always keep the police and the military separate because mm. the police are peacetime peacekeepers who have to view themselves as allied with citizens, whereas military are trained to primarily see the people that they're fighting against and that they're um, and that their military actions are against as enemies. So if the military are hired to do police work, they'll end up seeing citizens as enemies, as opposed to citizens as those they are part of and protect. So we always need to keep the police and the military separate, Adama says. I think one of the things that Palpatine does in leading Yoda and the Jedi into being military leaders is he strips them of their ability to be police peacekeepers yeah yeah no it's almost it's a <laughs> it's a destruction of a republic through the creation of a police state yes yeah. yes i think that's right that's interesting now i think the question is though what else was yoda gonna do what else was the jedi council gonna do yeah and i think that leads to an interesting question about sort of uh it's almost a beowulf question sometimes like mm. if you are the big warrior or the the strong one Mm-hmm. the one that's able, are you responsible to go take down monsters? Mm-hmm. Right, like part of me wonders why the Jedi end up being responsible for leading the war, mm-hmm. right? Like why can't the Republic lead its own war? Why, why does it need the Jedi to do it? Well, the Republic doesn't have an army, right? Right. All the Republic has is peacekeepers, mm-hmm. which are Jedi. They're the knights. They don't have a military. And so with the massing of droid armies that the separatists start, it seems like, well, even in the, in the scroll of episode two, um, the droid armies are overwhelming the outnumbered Jedi, I think is the, is the language. So through creating an army of droids, that's not meeting the Jedi at their own level. If they, if they had made, say, Sith Knights to fight the Jedi Knights, that would be more equal. But instead they're making disposable infantry units with the, droid armies. So it seems like, oh, we need to create a large infantry. I don't know what you do other than create an army if if the droid armies are attacking. Well, so even if you do, why are the Jedi the ones responsible for that? That's what that's what yeah. seems weird, right? Like it seems like the Republic should sort of gather its own army if it needs an yeah. army rather than asking the allied uh, peacekeeping monks to yes. be the ones to lead <laughs> the the military operation. Yeah. Well, right. actually, that, that actually brings up something interesting because the Jedi aren't just policemen or knights errant. They're also seemingly the religious order, the monastic religious order right. in the galaxy, which means that there's this weird collapsing of monastic spirituality, police work, and now all that, both of those getting collapsed into military generalship. This is very interesting because it seems like Palpatine himself is trying to consolidate all legislative, executive, and judicial power in himself 
even as he forces the Jedi to concentrate police power, religious power, and military power into themselves. He sets them up to fall. Yeah, it seems like there must be something about being a general for a long period of time that keeps you from being an effective Jedi. Yeah. So so then I wonder, right, we have, you know, the movie coming out, The Last Jedi. Yeah. Ostensibly, that's going to be what, Luke? Right? Like, that's what you'd assume, yeah. maybe? Or he trains Rey, and it's Rey, or something like that? Well, in the crawl for for Episode Seven, they did say, Luke Skywalker, the last Jedi. That's one of the ways that he's described in the crawl in Episode Seven. So it seems like, in Episode Seven, if we had to say, who's the last Jedi, it's obviously Luke. But now that Rey's here, and people keep talking about the possibility, like, is Finn Force-sensitive? Is there going to be another couple Jedi kids who are going to be trained by Luke? It seems like they would be then the last Jedi. Yeah. But but so then what I wonder is, are, are they actually Jedi? Or do we see the Jedi sort of die off in the Clone Wars yeah. before they even die off, right? Before Order 66, due to the the situation that they put themselves in, find themselves in. Yeah. Right? Like, I think of, I think of, like, Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, he's the sort of, like, maverick, like, mm-hmm. doesn't exactly do what the Council's doing guy. He's like the dirty um, Harry of Jedi. Right. What, what makes him so mavericky? He, well, he wants to train Anakin on his own. Okay. And the Council says, you already have a Padawan. You can't train him. And he kind of disregards that. Or at least seems like he's going to before he dies. Well, we, we get a little bit of retrospect on on Qui-Gon from Count Dooku in episode two. He he spins Qui-Gon as, oh, Qui-Gon was a maverick. Qui-Gon saw the corruption in the Jedi. He would have joined me. And then Obi-Wan says, Qui-Gon Jinn never would have joined you. But there's always this question in the air. Would Qui-Gon have been a separatist? Right. Now, of course, we can't trust Dooku. But then again, he trained Qui-Gon. I think Qui-Gon has a little bit of that outsider status right and, and i think right that the outsider status is potentially what saves the jedi spirit despite the jedi's corruption in the prequels yes. right so this is why i think my thesis would be mm-hmm. right this is what i'm i want to test this out is that it, it seems that potentially ahsoka tano mm-hmm. is actually the last jedi hmm Right. So for those for those listening at home that aren't familiar, uh, Star Wars Clone Wars. It's a uh, it's an animated show set between episodes two and three of the prequels. Some of the best storytelling um, in the series, maybe. I don't know. Like it, yeah, it's incredible. Um, and so Ahsoka is actually Anakin's Padawan, um, and she, you know, spoiler alerts. So if you're going to go back and listen to this, stop the podcast now. Finish listening to it later. I'll pause. Okay, so she ends up getting ejected from the Jedi Order because she's framed and no one will believe that she was framed. You know, eventually she's cleared, she's asked back. She says no. Mm. She won't do it. The Masters didn't trust her. How can she trust herself is what she says. Mm. But I think ultimately, too, there's this sense of... It seems like she's sensing some something wrong mm-hmm. and choosing to to find another way. Mm-hmm. To, tr- to find another way, which, which then I think... You get even more when you get into Rebels and you have the Bendu, right? Yeah. Who's the sort of like light and dark together, finding a third way. Yeah. You know, if you think of it in terms of, of D&D alignments, mm-hmm. like maybe there's this sense to which instead of being good and evil, light and dark actually tends to line up along this like lawful versus chaotic ah. alignment situation. 
Interesting. And the lawfulness of the Jedi is what ultimately ends up corrupting them in one way, right? Like they're so lawful, so blindly lawful that they start to sort of obtain all this power legally that ends up corrupting them because there's no law saying they shouldn't have it, even though they kind of know they shouldn't have it. Yeah. Well, and I think this this is really awesome because this is making me start to think that finding the third way, finding finding the way between two diametrically opposed forces that will violently butt heads endlessly, finding the third way between them is what a Jedi should do, right? They are keepers of peace and justice, which is always setting to balance of conflicting forces. And it seems like when the Jedi choose to be the leaders of one side of a war, they're abdicating not just their role as police or peacekeepers, but also their role as finding a way between the thesis and antithesis. So this brings me to Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi, when it seems like he's caught between either killing his father and assuming his place at the Emperor's side, or trying to fight the Emperor and dying, he chooses to throw aside his lightsaber, right? He chooses not to become one of those violent forces clashing. He, he names himself a Jedi in that moment, right? He says, no, you failed, your highness, throws away the lightsaber. I am a Jedi like my father before me. He seems to be trying to find a third way. Hmm. Now, of course, he almost dies because of it, but it's what redeems, it's what redeems um, Anakin. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but that's a spoiler alert for a movie from 1983. So. The Redemption yeah. of Anakin Skywalker. If you haven't heard yet, it happens. Okay. I like that a lot. I think I think it's easy to to think of Luke as as like the sort of whiny, vaguely annoying character from the, the trilogy that you have to like because he's your protagonist. Yeah. But you're right. I think I think that moment is such a good moment. And maybe that's what I'm seeing when I'm thinking of people like Qui-Gon and Ahsoka who kind of butt the system enough to do what they think is right rather yeah. than doing what uh, they're being told to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. I think I think we leave it at your point unless you had something to finish with. Well, it, th- that makes me very curious to see where Luke is now because all the signs point to Luke sort of being in a state of sort of moody depression, um, right? He ran away... I feel like it's mo- it's most probable that Luke will be sort of sad Luke who tells Rey, you shouldn't have come here. Being a Jedi was a mistake. Everything stinks. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we're going to get emo Luke. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I'm tempted to say it would be it would be most bold to have Luke say, look, I've discovered the true Jedi way and it's not amassing power so we can fight uh, bad guys. It's seeking a way of peace that somehow threads the needle between being on either side of the violence. It's why the Jedi and the, and the Rebellion are never quite the same thing. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know, though. I'll be very interested to see. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder whether that's why the Rebellion works. Hmm. Right? Like, Luke has his own fight that he's on. Yeah. That's, that's uh, alongside but different from the Rebellion. Yeah. Whereas by the end of Episode 3... You know the 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 Jedi just are the Republic. Yeah, like there there isn't a difference anymore. They're yeah. on a side and they're fighting for it. Yeah. Now it's interesting that you say Jedi are the Republic because Palpatine also says I am the Senate. So there's <laughs> this collapsing of identities. Um, well, that's how he does it, right? He's able to one get the Jedi to become the Republic. Yeah. And two 
take over the Republic. Yeah. So then, without them ever realizing what's happening, they manage mm-hmm. to basically just be under <laughs> the reign of a Sith Lord. Yeah. Like as an entire council without yeah. realizing it. Yeah. Right. Like that's why they that's why they arrest Ahsoka is it's not because they think they should it's because the Senate asks them to. Yeah. Um. So it's because Palpatine asks them to. Yeah. Right. It's it's why they do everything that they're doing. So it's an interesting uh, <laughs> sort of nefarious plot as it were as the Sith are known for. But this this has helped me appreciate the prequels a little bit more. Uh, yeah, the prequels. I I like a lot of elements of the prequels, but right now they're my least favorite of the Star Wars movies, and th- this is helpful. Yeah, likewise. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Uh, this has been from the hallway, a podcast of the Saint Constantine School. Uh, I'm Chris Yee here with uh, Tim Bartell, and I'm sure we'll keep talking about this back in the hallway. Thanks. Mm-hmm.